Section 2 of Captain Singleton. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, visit LibriVox.org. That's L-I-B-R-I-V-O-X dot org. Recording by Dennis Sayers. The Life, Adventures, and Piracies of Captain Singleton by Daniel Defoe. Section 2 I can say nothing here to the manner of our voyage, for, as I said, I kept no journal. But this I can give an account of, that having been once as high as the Cape of Good Hope, as we call it, or the Cabo de Bona Speranza, as they call it, we were driven back again by a violent storm from the west-southwest, which held us six days and nights a great way to the eastward, and after that, standing afore the wind for several days more, we at last came to an anchor on the coast of Madagascar. The storm had been so violent that the ship had received a great deal of damage, and it required some time to repair her. So, standing in nearer the shore the pilot my master brought the ship into a very good harbour where we rid in twenty-six fathoms water about half a mile from the shore while the ship rode here there happened a most desperate mutiny among the men upon account of some deficiency in their allowance which came to that height that they threatened the captain to set him on shore and go back with the ship to Goa. I wish they would with all my heart, for I was full of mischief in my head, and ready enough to do any. So, though I was but a boy, as they called me, yet I prompted the mischief all I could, and embarked in it so openly that I escaped very little being hanged in the first and most early part of my life for the captain had some notice that there was a design laid by some of the company to murder him, and having, partly by money and promises, and partly by threatening and torture, brought two fellows to confess the particulars and the names of the persons concerned. They were presently apprehended, till one accusing another no less than sixteen men were seized and put into irons, whereof I was one. The captain, who was made desperate by his danger, resolving to clear the ship of his enemies, tried us all, and we were all condemned to die. The manner of his process I was too young to take notice of, but the purser and one of the gunners were hanged immediately, and I expected it with the rest. I do not remember any great concern I was under about it, only that I cried very much, for I knew little then of this world, and nothing at all of the next. However, the captain contented himself with executing these two, and some of the rest, upon their humble submission and promise of future good behavior, were pardoned. But five were ordered to be set on shore on the island, and left there of which I was one. My master used all his interest with the captain to have me excused, 
but could not obtain it, for somebody having told him that I was one of them, who was singled out to have killed him, when my master desired I might not be set on the shore, the captain told him I should stay on board if he desired it, but then I should be hanged, so he might choose for me, which he thought best. The captain, it seems, was particularly provoked at my being concerned in the treachery because of his having been so kind to me, and of his having singled me out to serve him, as I have said above. And this, perhaps, obliged him to give my master such a rough choice, either to set me on shore, or to have me hanged on board. And had my master indeed known what good will I had for him, he would not have been long in choosing for me, for I had certainly determined to do him a mischief the first opportunity I had for it. This was, therefore, a good providence for me, to keep me from dipping my hands in blood, and it made me more tender afterwards in matters of blood than I believe I should otherwise have been. But as to my being one of them that was to kill the captain, that I was wronged in, for I was not the person, but it was really one of them that were pardoned, he having the good luck not to have that part discovered. I was now to enter upon a part of independent life, a thing I was indeed very ill-prepared to manage, for I was perfectly loose and dissolute in my behavior, bold and wicked while I was under government, and now perfectly unfit to be trusted with liberty, for I was as ripe for any villainy as a young fellow that had no solid thought ever placed in his mind could be supposed to be. Education, as you have heard, I have none, and all the little scenes of life I had passed through had been full of dangers and desperate circumstances. But I was either so young or so stupid that I escaped the grief and anxiety of them for want of having a sense of their tendency and consequences. This thoughtless, unconcerned temper had one felicity indeed in it, that it made me daring, and ready for doing any mischief, and kept off the sorrow which otherwise ought to have attended me when I fell into any mischief, that this stupidity was instead a happiness to me, for it left my thoughts free to act upon means of escape and deliverance in my distress, however great it might be whereas my companions in the misery were so sunk by their fear and grief that they abandoned themselves to the misery of their condition, and gave over all thought but of their perishing and starving, being devoured by wild beasts, murdered, and perhaps eaten by cannibals, and the like. I was but a young fellow, about seventeen or eighteen, but hearing what was to be my fate, I received it with no appearance of discouragement. But I asked what my master said to it, and being told that he had used his utmost interest to save me, but the captain had answered I should either go on shore or be hanged on board, which he pleased, 
I then gave over all hope of being received again. I was not very thankful in my thoughts to my master for his soliciting the captain for me, because I knew that what he did was not in kindness to me so much as in kindness to himself. I mean, to preserve the wages which he got for me, which amounted to above six dollars a month, including what the captain allowed him for my particular service to him. When I understood that my master was so apparently kind, I asked if I might not be admitted to speak with him, and they told me I might if my master would come down to me, but I could not be allowed to come up to him. So then I desired my master might be spoke to, to come to me, and he accordingly came to me. I fell on my knees to him, and begged he would forgive me for what I had done to displease him, and indeed the resolution I had taken to murder him lay with some horror upon my mind just at that time, so that I was just a-going to confess it and beg him to forgive me, but I kept it in. He told me he had done all he could to obtain my pardon of the captain, but could not, and he knew no way for me but to have patience and submit to my fate, and if they came to speak with any ship of their nation at the Cape, he would endeavour to have them stand in, and fetch us off again, if we might be found. Then I begged I might have my clothes on shore with me. He told me he was afraid I should have little need of clothes, for he did not see how we could long subsist on the island, and that he had been told that the inhabitants were cannibals or men-eaters, though he had no reason for that suggestion, and we should not be able to live among them. I told him I was not so afraid of that as I was of starving for want of victuals, and as for the inhabitants being cannibals, I believed we should be more likely to eat them than they us, if we could but get at them. But I was mightily concerned, I said, we should have no weapons with us to defend ourselves, and I beg nothing now but that he would give me a gun and a sword with a little powder and shot. He smiled and said that would signify nothing to us, for it was impossible for us to pretend to preserve our lives among such a populous and desperate nation as the people of this island were. I told him that, however, it would do us this good, for we should not be devoured or destroyed immediately, so I begged hard for the gun. At last he told me he did not know whether the captain would give him leave to give me a gun, and, if not, he durst not do it, but he promised to use his interest to obtain it for me, which he did, and the next day he sent me a gun with some ammunition but told me the captain would not suffer the ammunition to be given us till we were all set on shore, and till he was just going to set sail. He also sent me the few clothes I had in the ship, which indeed were not many. Two days after this we were all carried on shore together, 
The rest of my fellow criminals, hearing that I had a gun, and some powder and shot, solicited for liberty to carry the like with them, which was also granted them, and thus we were set on shore to shift for ourselves. At our first coming into the island we were terrified exceedingly with the sight of the barbarous people, whose figure was made more terrible to us than it really was by the report we had of them from the seamen. But when we came to converse with them a while, we found they were not cannibals, as was reported, or such as would fall immediately upon us and eat us up. But they came and sat down by us, and wondered much at our clothes and arms, and made signs to give us some victuals, such as they had, which was only roots and plants dug out of the ground for the present, but they brought us fowls and flesh afterwards in good plenty. This encouraged the other four men that were with me very much, for they were quite dejected before, but now they began to be very familiar with them, and made signs that if they would use us kindly, we would stay and live with them, which they seemed glad of, though they knew little of the necessity we were under to do so, or how much we were afraid of them. However, upon second thoughts, we resolved that we would only stay in that part so long as the ship rid in the bay, and then, making them believe we were gone with the ship, we would go and place ourselves, if possible, where there were no inhabitants to be seen, and so live as we could, or perhaps watch for a ship that might be driven upon the coast, as we were. The ship continued a fortnight in the roads, repairing some damage which had been done her in the late storm, and taking in wood and water, and during this time, the boat coming often on shore, the men brought us several refreshments, and the natives, believing we only belonged to the ship, were civil enough. We lived in a kind of tent on the shore, or rather a hut, which we made with the boughs of trees, and sometimes in the night retired to a wood a little out of their way to let them think we were gone on board the ship. However, we found them barbarous, treacherous, and villainous enough in their nature, only civil from fear, and therefore concluded we should fall into their hands when the ship was gone. The sense of this wrought upon my fellow sufferers even to distraction, and one of them, being a carpenter in his mad fit, swam off to the ship in the night, though she lay then a league to sea, and made such pitiful moan to be taken in, that the captain was prevailed with at last to take him in, though they let him lie swimming three hours in the water before he consented to it. Upon this and his humble submission, the captain received him, and, in a word, the importunity of this man who for some time petitioned to be taken in, though they hanged him as soon as they had him, was such as could not be resisted,
for after he had swam so long about the ship, he was not able to reach the shore again, and the captain saw evidently that the man must be taken on board or suffered to drown, and the whole ship's company offering to be bound for him for his good behavior, the captain at last yielded, and he was taken up, but almost dead with his being so long in the water. When this man was got in, he never left importuning the captain and all the rest of the officers in behalf of us that were behind. But to the very last day the captain was inexorable. When, at the time their preparations were making to sail, and orders given to hoist the boats into the ship, all the seamen in a body came up to the rail of the quarter-deck, where the captain was walking with some of his officers, and appointing the boatswain to speak for them, he went up, and falling on his knees to the captain, begged of him in the humblest manner possible to receive the four men on board again, offering to answer for their fidelity, or to have them kept in chains till they came to Lisbon, and there to be delivered up to justice, rather than, as they said, to have them left to be murdered by savages, or devoured by wild beasts. It was a great while ere the captain took any notice of them, but when he did, he ordered the boatswain to be seized, and threatened to bring him to the capstan for speaking for them. Upon this severity, one of the seamen, bolder than the rest, but still with all possible respect to the captain, besought his honor, as he called him, that he would give leave to some more of them to go on shore, and die with their companions, or, if possible, to assist them to resist the barbarians. The captain, rather provoked than cowed with this, came to the barricade of the quarter-deck, and speaking very prudently to the men, for had he spoken roughly, two-thirds of them would have left the ship, if not all of them. He told them, it was for their safety, as well as his own, that he had been obliged to that severity, that mutiny on board a ship was the same thing as treason in a king's palace, and he could not answer it to his owners and employers to trust the ship and goods committed to his charge with men who had entertained thoughts of the worst and blackest nature, that he wished heartily that it had been anywhere else that they had been set on shore, where they might have been in less hazard from the savages, that if he had designed they should be destroyed, he could as well have executed them on board as the other two, that he wished it had been in some other part of the world where he might have delivered them up to the civil justice, or might have left them among Christians, but it was better their lives were put in hazard than his life and the safety of the ship, and that, though he did not know that he had deserved so ill of any of them, as that they should leave the ship rather than do their duty, yet if any of them were resolved to do so, unless he would consent to take a gang of traitors on board, 
who, as he had proved before them all, had conspired to murder him, he would not hinder them, nor for the present would he resent their importunity. But if there was nobody left in the ship but himself, he would never consent to take them on board. The discourse was delivered so well, was in itself so reasonable, was managed with so much temper, yet so boldly concluded with a negative, that the greatest part of the men were satisfied, for the present. However, as it put the men into juntos and cabals, they were not composed for some hours, the wind also slackening towards night. The captain ordered not to weigh till next morning. The same night, twenty-three of the men, among whom was the gunner's mate, the surgeon's assistant, and two carpenters, applying to the chief mate, told him that as the captain had given them leave to go on shore to their comrades, they begged that he would speak to the captain, not to take it ill, that they were desirous to go and die with their companions, and that they thought they could do no less in such an extremity than go to them, because if there was any way to save their lives, it was by adding to their numbers, and making them strong enough to assist one another in defending themselves against the savages, till perhaps they might, one time or other, find means to make their escape, and get to their own country again. The mate told them, in so many words, that he durst not speak to the captain upon any such design, and was very sorry they had no more respect for him than to desire him to go upon such an errand. But if they were resolved upon such an enterprise, he would advise them to take the long-boat in the morning betimes, and go off, seeing the captain had given them leave, and leave a civil letter behind them to the captain, and to desire him to send his men on shore for the boat, which should be delivered very honestly, and he promised to keep their counsel so long. Accordingly, an hour before day, those twenty-three men, with every man a firelock and a cutlass, with some pistols, three halberds or half-pikes, and good store of powder and ball, without any provision but about half a hundred of bread, but with all their chests and clothes, tools, instruments, books, etc., embarked themselves so silently that the captain got no notice of it till they were gotten half the way on shore. As soon as the captain heard of it, he called for the gunner's mate, the chief gunner being at the time sick in his cabin, and ordered to fire at them. But, to his great mortification, the gunner's mate was one of the number, and was gone with them. And indeed it was by this means they got so many arms and so much ammunition. When the captain found out how it was, and that there was no help for it, he began to be a little appeased, and made light of it, and called up the men, and spoke kindly to them, and told them he was very well satisfied in the fidelity and ability of those that were now left, 
and that he would give to them, for their encouragement, to be divided among them, the wages which were due to the men that were gone, and that it was a great satisfaction to him that the ship was free from such a mutinous rabble, who had not the least reason for their discontent. The men seemed very well satisfied, and particularly the promise of the wages of those who were gone went a great way with them. After this, the letter which was left by the men was given to the captain by his boy, with whom, it seems, the men had left it. The letter was much to the same purpose of what they had said to the mate, and which he declined to say for them, only that at the end of their letter they told the captain that, as they had no dishonest design, so they had taken nothing away with them which was not their own, except some arms and ammunition, such as were absolutely necessary to them, as well for their defence against the savages, as to kill fowls or beasts for their food, that they might not perish. And as there were considerable sums due to them for wages, they hoped he would allow the arms and ammunition upon their accounts. They told him that, as to the ship's longboat, which they had taken to bring them on shore, they knew it was necessary to him, and they were very willing to restore it to him, and if he pleased to send for it, it should be very honestly delivered to his men, and not the least injury offered to any of those who came for it, nor the least persuasion or invitation made use of to any of them to stay with them. And, at the bottom of the letter, they very humbly besought him that, for their defence and for the safety of their lives, he would be pleased to send them a barrel of powder and some ammunition, and give them leave to keep the mast and sail of the boat, that, if it was possible for them to make themselves a boat of any kind, they might shift off to sea, to save themselves in such part of the world as their fate should direct them to. Upon this the captain, who had won much upon the rest of his men by what he had said to them, and was very easy as to the general peace, for it was very true that the most mutinous of the men were gone, came out to the quarter-deck, and calling the men together, let them know the substance of the letter, and told the men that, however they had not deserved such civility from him, yet he was not willing to expose them more than they were willing to expose themselves. He was inclined to send them some ammunition, and, as they had desired but one barrel of powder, he would send them two barrels, and shot, or lead and moulds to make shot, in proportion, and, to let them see that he was civiler to them than they deserved, he ordered a cask of arrack, and a great bag of bread to be sent them for sustenance, till they should be able to furnish themselves. The rest of the men applauded the captain's generosity, and every one of them sent us something or other, and about three in the afternoon the pinnace came on shore, and brought us all these things, which we were very glad of, and returned the longboat accordingly. And as to the men that came with the pinnace, as the captain had singled out such men as he knew would not come over to us, 
so they had positive orders not to bring any one of us on board again upon pain of death and indeed both were so true to our points that we neither asked them to stay nor they us to go end of section two